The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker. You are listening to episode 128 of the podcast, or you're joining us live here on YouTube. Today is Sunday, February the 24th. And quick announcement to start off the show, in case you are enjoying the content elsewhere or you love to hate us on another platform, the show is now available on Spotify. So if that is your preferred platform, uh, please jump on to Spotify, search for MMA on the Rocks, give us a follow on there. And whatever your preferred platform is, please do give us a follow, turn on your notifications, subscribe, you know, whatever the protocol is on said platform. And uh, leave us some comments, leave us some feedback, leave us a review. It does help. Uh, we do take feedback into consideration to try and improve the show with that being said let me introduce the other half of the show all the way from new jersey jeff the animal wilson jeff how you feeling on this early sunday afternoon my friend no i'm feeling good man these uh last night's card well yesterday afternoon's card was full of surprises very pleasant surprises but bill before we start i gotta ask you this because i stare at you every sunday but your face is looking a little bit thinner man what have you been doing you look like you lost a lot of weight there um i think it's just not sleeping <laughs> and i don't know i think probably just the way i'm i'm trimming up the the old whiskers is it is maybe an optical illusion um <laughs> Uh, training a little bit more, I think it is a real question and just not eating like an asshole, um, which is hard to do, you know, with a one-year-old running around, um, which also is the reason I'm not sleeping. Oh, and, and building her swing set in the yard, I think has burned a lot of calories as well. I know I've been talking you through the grief of that process and i i know we promised the listeners we wouldn't turn this into a parenting podcast so uh i'll leave it at that uh but in any case jeff ufc i didn't know what to make of this card uh you know we didn't have too much to say about it last week uh fight night 145 from prague czech republic it was headlined by two very talented light heavyweights that seem to fly under the radar uh, on a lot of people's books. Uh, and that's just because they're not big shit talkers. They're not big showmen. Uh, you know, they do their talking in the cage. And uh, I think they both put on a really good performance last night in the main event. I'm talking, of course, about Tiago, Maheta, Santos, and Jan Blahovic. Um, man, there are a few people there. There are very few people that, that terrify me. And I think Tiago Santos is just one of the most terrifying human beings. You could tell this guy has just seen some wild shit. 
you know, he grew up in the in the favelas of Brazil. Uh, he became a paratrooper and he was fighting against the drug cartel down there. Uh, and now he is rising through the ranks in the UFC, hit a couple of speed bumps in his career along the way. But I think he straightened a lot of the mess that was going on in his life and got his training together. So anyway, the point I was getting to is there are a few people scarier to me in the UFC than Tiago Santos. Uh, that was my opinion until yesterday. Now, my opinion is that something scarier than Tiago Santos is a patient Tiago Santos mm. because we've seen him maul guys and destroy them and come out like a fucking tornado in the first round. What we saw yesterday in Prague was a calculated attack and a knockout moving backwards. He threw two hooks at Jan Blahovich while he was stumbling backwards and knocked him out. And that is fucking phenomenal. Um, uh, I, I, I didn't think there was anything scarier than Tiago Santos moving forward, but now we know that he's scary moving backwards too. And he can be calculated and he can be composed. And that's a terrifying thing. If you're in this light heavyweight division, Jeff. Yeah, I agree with you, Bill. And I think that you summed it up really, really nicely in saying that both of these guys have flown under the radar, which is really refreshing, man. In a time of the UFC where everybody's trying to mimic Conor McGregor and his meteoric rise, um, Tiago Santos and Jan Blahovich have been quiet. They let their skills do the talking. And yeah, Bill, Tiago Santos, he looked really methodical. He looked like every single round was being thought out. Um, instead of going for, for the big bombs, he was grinding each round out and just earning points, which, you know, is not a bad strategy, especially against someone like Jan Blahovic, who we've seen display really, really good power as well. Mm -hmm. But, dude, this was one of the few fights where Tiago Santos looked like he was in a chess match. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Jan Blahovich, he was looking really good as well up until those two hooks that you were talking about. And it was just nuts, man. Uh, he was backed up going towards the cage. And the first hook kind of hurt him a little bit. But that second hook, the left hook, just put him down, dude. And um, it looked like Tiago Santos... Um, was going to finish the fight from the top, but Jan Blahovic was doing a good job of covering up, and it looked like it, there was one punch, Bill, that landed on Jan Blahovic where you just saw his hands go from being up towards his head to being flat on the canvas, mm -hmm. and it, it was crazy. A lot of those shots weren't getting through initially, and then that one punch just, like, shut Blahovic's lights off, man. Yeah, and if I didn't see this fight myself, and those are all great points by you, Jeff. If I didn't see this fight myself, and you told me one of these fighters rushed forward a little bit recklessly and got caught with some counter strikes and wound up going down, 100 out of 100 people will tell you that it was Tiago Santos who got knocked out in that fight. Um, he actually caused Jan Blahovich to get a little bit reckless and make a mistake in there. Uh, which I can't stress enough how scary that is because we know what a destructive force he is moving forward. Now we know he can get in there with a game plan and frustrate people and cause them to make mistakes and 
actually walk into his power strikes. Um, Again, I can't say enough how much I feel like Tiago Santos leveled up with this performance. Uh, You know, we all knew what he was capable of before, but now I think this just added a whole new dimension to his game. And I love the call out at the end of the fight. He's got a win over Anthony Smith, who will be fighting for the title next week. Uh, And what he said was, if Anthony Smith wins, I'll beat him again. If John Jones wins, I'll beat him too. And I'm going to be there in Las Vegas when they fight. That's a perfect call out. Um, He was cold when he said it. You could tell he meant it. You could tell he believes it. And I want to see either one of those fights. Obviously, Santos and and Anthony Smith fought at 185 pounds previously. I would love to see that rematch at 205. And of course, Santos and John Jones would be a phenomenal fight. What were your thoughts on the call out, Jeff? Bill, unfortunately, I was watching this at like 2 a.m. So I actually was unaware of the call out because as soon as I saw the knockout, I shut it off and went to sleep. But Bill, you explaining it just gave me goosebumps, man. Um, I love it. I think Diago Santos deserves a title shot. He's been tearing up this light heavyweight division. And like you said, he's been quiet about it. And just the cold calculation, the calmness. I love it, man. Perfect call out. And I think, I think it's his time to get a title shot. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I don't, I don't think you can really deny him. I mean, he's coming off some really amazing performances, knockout of Eric Anders and one of the craziest fights of last year, a knockout of Jimmy Manoa after stepping up to 205 pounds, uh, in another wild fight. Uh, the guy's here to, to entertain and, like I said earlier, I think now that he's straightened out the things in his personal life that were kind of holding him back before, this is one dangerous motherfucker. Um, and I, w- I definitely wouldn't criticize his tattoos anymore. Um, <laughs> in any case, let's move on down the line to the co-main event uh, in, a, in a heavyweight bout between the skyscraper Stefan Struve and a guy who was like basically a foot shorter than him and Marcos Rosario de Lima. Um, I, I can, I can relate to de Lima here uh, because this is the, the way he looked in there against Stefan Struve is the way I feel against most guys in the gym. So, you know, my heart goes out to him there. He caught Struve with a big shot to start off the fight. He just immediately mauled him and came over the top and somehow leapt. It was like a, like a Mike Tyson punch out looking shot where he had to just leap in there and he landed a big shot right on the jaw. Stefan Struve put him down and Struve admitted he didn't even remember what happened. He said, I got hit in the face and I woke up on the ground, uh, <laughs> which is uh, a pretty wild thing to happen. A uh, little bit back and forth. Delima was able to control the top game for a lot of the first round. And then in the second round, when Struve was able to get on top, Stefan Struve is very interesting because seven feet tall, 265 pounds, he has very technical jujitsu. And for those who aren't familiar with jujitsu, big guys do not have technical jujitsu. Uh, the reason being, they're able to cut a lot of corners with their size and strength. But Stefan Struve actually does jujitsu the way a smaller guy would do jujitsu. Uh, you know, he does a low pressure pass, which is very unusual for someone as, as limmy as him. Uh, 
so to speak. And he has a very dangerous guard, uh, which is very unusual for a big guy as well. You know, in the history of the heavyweight division, you can count on on maybe two hands, like the elite technical jujitsu guys. I mean, you have Fabricio Verdum, you have Frank Mir, um, you know, Big Nog, um, and then the, the the list gets slimmed out after that. But uh, very technical uh, guard passing from Stefan Struve, which I really liked. And then uh, finishing it off with an arm triangle where he kind of anchored that long-ass leg on the far leg of the Lima uh, and, and used it as extra pressure into that arm triangle. It was really a beautiful submission. Uh, give me your thoughts on this fight, Jeff. Bill, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, it was a nice submission. But, Bill, Stefan Struve looked terrible in there. In that first round, dude, You he has to be – I feel like his length is a disadvantage for him. Mm. I, I don't know how – it's the biggest oxymoron, dude. Um, <laughs> the biggest guy in this division, and all the smaller guys have – well, a lot of the smaller guys who fought him have beaten him. And I, I don't know, man. Um, I'm glad he got the submission. Good for him. But, dude, Stevan Struve, I am not convinced, man. Um, I don't know too much about uh, DeLima. So I felt like that was a fight that Struve should have essentially, you know, had the advantage in. But um, I remember his fight with uh, – what's his name? Um, we just talked about him last week. Uh, the big dude, uh, he's the homeless looking guy. No, you know who I'm talking about. Uh, uh Alexander Volkov. No, the guy who lost to Mirko Krokop last week. Roy Nelson. Yeah. Roy, Roy Nelson has like a foot of disadvantage and was still able to like drop Stefan Struve. So Bill, mm-hmm. I don't know, man. Um, you know, I'm glad he got the win, but I feel like he should have kind of had this one a little bit more under control. Um, I don't know, <laughs> Bill. I don't know how you're the biggest guy in the division, and it's a disadvantage for you. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it, it does have its advantages and disadvantages, but uh, I'm guessing that you didn't hear the post-fight interview on this one either uh, because we may not have to worry about this one anymore as Stefan Struve laid down the gloves uh, in the middle of the octagon. Uh, he wanted to go out on a high note on a win. He's only 31 years old, but um, he, you know it's been well documented. He has some heart issues. It's a heart murmur, I believe, that has kept him out of action and kept him from being sanctioned in a lot of fights. And uh, when this news first came out, he said he wanted to do five more years and get out of the game. And, and he's gone a little beyond that. Uh, he was so young when he first came into the UFC. I think he was only 20 or 21. Uh, so he's had a lot of great fights, uh, a lot of, a lot of notable wins. You know, he's got a win over Bigfoot Silva. He's got a win over big nog. Uh, he's got a win over the former champ, Stipe Miocic. Uh, he's got a win over Pat Barry. Um, you know, a, a very interesting career, you know, very hot and cold the whole time through. Um, and, and yeah, for whatever reason has, has, tr- has always had trouble with short stocky power punchers. Um, I, I guess never learned to use his range, uh, you know, in, in terms of using a jab. Uh, he, he's a very well-versed kickboxer. Um, but yeah, never adapted that jab as a tool to, to keep people at length. Um, so he said that it, it may be an emotional call, but he wanted to go out on a high note and, um, 
if that's the case, of course, uh, we here on MMA on the Rocks wish him the best going forward. Of course, we always want to keep people's health in mind uh, above all else. You know, this is a this is a tough sport. Whether you have a pre-existing health condition or not, this is something that takes a toll on you physically, uh, emotionally, and and will affect your your joints and your and your brain tissue. Uh, for the rest of your life. So uh, if this is the last time we saw Stefan Struve in the octagon, then, uh, you know, thanks for all the memories at, at heavyweight. And if it's not, then, um, you know, that'll be up to him. And I, I guess uh, time will tell. So uh, reaction to the potential retirement of the skyscraper, Jeff. Yeah, um, you know, good good for Stefan Struve. He's been in this game a long time. And, you know, I always forget that he's only 31 because I've been watching him fight for so long, Bill. Mm -hmm. And, you know, good for Stefan Struve, man. He, you know, as much as I shit on him, um, he is, you know, he's had some really good fights in there. Um, it's a shame that he could never really get a, uh, what do you call it, a, um, that he could never get a streak going to try and make a run at the title. But again, that probably has to do with the heart murmur as well. Um, so good for him, though. Hopefully, you know, he gets his health taken care of first. And hopefully we see him again in that octagon someday. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's move on to um, another fight. Uh, we'll go return to the light heavyweight division. John Vellante taking a loss to Mikhail Alexicic. And I had to rewatch this fight, I think, six or seven times. And I rewatched the whole thing. Now, it ended with uh, a minute and uh, just a minute and 34 seconds into the uh, first round. And it ended with a body shot that came so fast. The first three times I watched this fight, Jeff, I couldn't see the punch being thrown and then John Vellante had such a delayed reaction. So, uh, Mikhail throws a, uh, a left hook to the body that hits John Vellante right in the liver. And there's a delayed reaction here. And there's a reason for that. When you get struck in the liver, what happens is your liver releases toxins into your bloodstream that essentially, shut your body off it is extremely scary when it happens and you feel paralyzed but it doesn't take effect right away so the toxins get released and then all of a sudden you feel like oh shit my body doesn't work anymore and that's what we saw happen to jean volante um who up to that point uh was just taking a beating from Alexicic and it it had to do with a severe speed advantage uh, from Alexicic who was just able to move in and out and land at will. Uh, he was messing with John Vellante a couple of times, just moving in shelled up um, just to show that he could close the distance without even throwing any strikes. It was really impressive speed from Alexicic who by any right, could be fighting at middleweight. Um, I think if there is a 195-pound division, that would be the perfect spot for him. But uh, he's not a big, light heavyweight, Jeff. But he is fast, and he's got quick hands, and he's got some serious power in them because he was able to shut John Vellante's body off. Give me your thoughts on this one. Dude, I had a really similar reaction uh, to John Vellante, actually, because I... 
didn't like you said i could i didn't see the the strike thrown at the liver i just see john volante back up and it was like when you hit somebody right in the diaphragm mm -hmm. where they just go oh you know and just like let out a big breath that's what john volante did so i was like i at first i thought he got injured or something i thought we had a kane velasquez situation here bill mm -hmm. and i just see him drop to the ground and you know uh I'm gonna butcher his last name. So, uh, how do you pronounce it, Bill? Is it Alexiuk? Alexiuk, yeah. So Alexiuk swarms him, finishes him off, and I, I honestly, Bill, I had no idea what happened. I didn't see the punch thrown. I thought John Volante just got hurt, like moving mm -hmm. forward or backward or something. And then in the replay, you can see um, Alexiuk just land this perfect left hook to John Volante's liver, man. It was just so exact, so precise. And Volante, there, like you said, there was a delayed reaction and his body just folded up like a lawn chair, dude. And he just went down. So really, really imp impressive. I've never seen Alexa Chick fight before, um, but if that's what he has to offer, I really want to see him get back in there sooner rather than later. Yeah. Um, for sure. Uh, so we haven't seen Alexa chick in a while. Um, because after his fight with Khalil Roundtree in December of 2017, he did test positive for some banned substances. I can't remember exactly <clears throat> what it was. Um, I don't think that's something that's going to affect him because obviously nobody's really talking about it. So, um, there's some interesting fights for him at 205. I think I, I would like to see him at middleweight um because i think he brings a lot of that speed and definitely all of that power down to that division um for jean volante here's a guy who loves to put on exciting fights was a state champion wrestler at hofstra uh, which i think may be a little known fact about him because he never wrestles inside the cage um I think if he had chosen to implement that, he probably would have been able to get a, a Alexa chick to the ground and John Volante, man, he's having a rough go at, at it. If you look at his record, it's, you know, uh, I'll start from last night and work backwards. Loss, win, loss, win, loss, loss, win, loss, win, loss. Um, so it's kind of been, it's kind of been the story of his career so far. Um, I would really like to see him get in there and have a dominant performance over somebody by using his wrestling. If, if anything, just mixing some takedowns in to keep an opponent guessing. Uh, I think he would have a lot more success uh, if he was able to, <coughs> excuse me, if he was able to implement that. Um, you know, he comes out of a great gym uh, in uh, Sarah Longo on Long Island and, and they're, experts at game planning there um but you know he's a big strong-willed dude who wants to just get in there and bang and you got to respect that but um at the same time you want to see a guy doing uh, what's smart for his career uh in any case uh i imagine we'll see alexa chicken there back in there uh pretty quickly i imagine he wants to stay active after having such a long uh, layoff, and I don't think anybody will have a problem with him getting back in there soon. Uh, Liz Carmouche, uh, showing her uh, grappling skills over uh, Lucy Pudilova, uh, <clears throat> and also just her 
just her experience here is really what was able um what allowed her to be so dominant in this fight and looking for a finish right up till last bell she dove for a heel hook i think with a minute left and she was transitioning to other submissions and uh she was just she was going for broken there which was really awesome to see from liz carmouche i thought it was a great performance give me your thoughts on this one jeff yeah bill aside from the heel hook which you know there wasn't a lot of control on the knee so she never really had it i didn't see you put a lova in too much danger with that heel hook but other mm -hmm. than that man i thought carmouche looked excellent in there um she was using her takedowns mixing up her striking with her grappling and you have to give her uh credit for her for her mentality too bill because she was in a really hostile crowd um after the fight was over and, they, and in the post-fight interview she couldn't even hear the mm -hmm. the questions that were being asked because of all the booing so really, really uh, good performance from Carmouche. Um, she didn't freak out when Putalova was going for her own submissions. Uh, <laughs> there was in the first round when uh, Carmouche had Putalova up against the cage. She kept go uh, Putalova kept going for a guillotine. Uh, she was going for a what looked like a darce choke. Mm -hmm. um, and Carmouche didn't freak out, man. She she just held her ground. She made sure that her neck was protected, and she just kept driving forward. So a lot of credit to Liz Carmouche here, man. Uh, really, really good display of her grappling and wrestling because she had put a Lova on the ground for most of this fight, and she didn't look like she was in too much trouble. Um, but I think there's a lot of potential for Putalova as well. I don't think she looked bad in there against a veteran like Liz Carmouche. Yeah, for sure. Unfortunate for her that she couldn't get the win in front of her uh, hometown uh, Czech Republic crowd. Um, but I, I like Liz Carmouche at flyweight. I think it's a good. I think it's a good weight for her. She looks. She looks big in there. You know, she carries a lot of muscle. She's got a. She's got a very muscular frame, uh, which helped her a lot when she was at 135 but <clears throat> you know i think if she can make this cut in a healthy way i think it's a really good division for her so uh looking forward to seeing the girl rilla back in there uh in the very near future and i i agree jeff i think i think putalova has a, a bright future as well um uh, from what i recall she has recently moved to flyweight um which i i think she looks good at flyweight as well i think she would be a little bit undersized at bantamweight uh in this ufc um in this ufc division here um another fight that was uh pretty good um peter yan and john dodson um i i liked seeing uh the aggression from john dodson we hadn't seen that in a while from him we had seen him uh trying to outpoint guys and try to be more evasive uh, in his last couple of fights, he really went after this kid. Um, you know, it was a big risk for John Dodson taking this fight, I think, because he's got a number next to his name. I don't believe Peter Yan does yet. Um, <clears throat> and he's got a lot of momentum behind him. So the fact that Dodson took the fight and then took the fight to Peter Yan is respectable. Um, I think he was just inside his own head a little bit. He was, he was focused too much on the fouls from Peter Yan. Uh, and trying to talk to the referee and he just seemed generally distracted in there not just when he was uh looking for the fouls but um it, it, there were a couple of times where he just seemed to lose focus 
and, and just wasn't totally with it. You know, here's a guy who has been around a long time. He's been in a lot of wars, um, you know, in there twice with Mighty Mouse Johnson. Uh, he's seen a lot in there. And uh, credit to Peter Yen. Uh, you know, he took er he took all that aggression from a veteran like John Dodson and turned it right back on him and, uh, you know, was able to walk away with the unanimous decision victory. I think this is a big win for Peter Yan. I think there's big things for him in the future. Give me your thoughts, Jeff. Yeah, dude, Peter Yan looked really, really good in there. And John Dodson is no joke, man. Um, a top contender in both bandweight and flyweight divisions. Um, but Peter Yan made him look like a newcomer, man. He was landing some really hard shots he was mixing it up with his grappling, landing some really nice trips, especially in that third round. And he made John Dodson pay for being distracted, man. Mm -hmm. uh, in the third round, he looked at the ref and said, he's pulling my hair. And a second later, Bill, he was being thrown onto his face. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, dude, I don't know what's been going on with John Dodson lately, man, but we haven't seen that intensity from him in a really long time. And when I say intensity, I'm referring specifically to his first fight against Mighty Mouse Johnson, Bill. This, for the inaugural flyweight title, Bill, that fight made me believe in the flyweight division, Bill. You know, mm -hmm. several of Mighty Mouse's fights afterwards made me stop believing in the division. But that initial fight with John Dodson, man, where they were flying at each other with flying knees and mixing up their combinations and takedowns and not being able to take down the other, that that John Dodson is is the one that I want to see, Bill. And I haven't mm -hmm. seen him in a couple of years now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's definitely a case of a guy who has all the skills uh, to be successful. I mean, he went the distance with Marlon Marais uh, not too long ago, who has been destroying people ever since. And it was a split decision. It, it was close. So if Dodson was able to win here and then win another one, um, you know, he's got a close fight with Marais, who's right up there in line for the title. Um, so he would have been able to get right back in the mix with a, with a win over a prospect like Peter Jan. But um, just, you know, couldn't couldn't get it together um well i want to skip around a little bit i know you didn't catch too much of the prelims jeff but just a few things i want to <clears throat> highlight here dwight grant with uh a nasty knockout over carlo petersoli who was kind of contesting the stoppage by mark goddard but after watching it a couple of times i, I mean he was still petersoli was still shelling up at the end of the round when mark goddard was trying to help him up so um it it, I think it was a good call here. Dwight Grant looked uh, really impressive. Um, <clears throat> Jillian Robertson with a submission victory over uh, Veronica Macedo. That was a, a very good fight, very good grappling exchanges in that fight, and just uh, tenacious with the rear naked choke was Jillian Robertson. Uh, here's one I wanted to touch on. Okay, Chris Fishgold with a rear naked choke victory over Daniel Tamer. And uh, I think the most important thing that happened in this fight was in the first round. Chris Fishgold, who is a really strong grappler and wrestler, just received his black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I believe, was in on a double leg on Daniel Tamer, and Tamer grabbed the fence <clears throat> while he was in the air. He was basically going to be put down, and Herb Dean stopped the action, and he said, I can't award the position. I can't award him the takedown, so I have to take a point away. 
And I really like this move by Herb Dean. And I don't know how many people saw this because it's in the middle of the day, um, you know, ESPN plus card. Uh, but I really want to highlight this move by Herb Dean. I really like this. No warning. Uh, you know, Fishgold was definitely going to get the takedown. Like, there's no way Tamer wasn't going down. And he grabbed the fence, and Herb Dean took a point away. Of course, Daniel Tamer and his brother are both notorious for uh, fence grabbing and eye poking and, you know, whatever little advantages they can take. And, you know, you can't really begrudge them that. Everybody's trying to get a little bit of an edge in there. Um, he was protesting the point deduction, but I really, really like this move by Herb Dean. Jeff, I know you didn't really catch the prelims, but give me your thoughts here. Uh, yeah, Bill, that actually annoys me. And you just reminded me that John Dodson, for all his complaining, he grabbed the fence when Peter Yan was going to take him down. That's grabbed true. Him with both hands like he was Spider-Man, dude. <laughs> um, that, that actually pissed me off, Bill, because for all his bitching and moaning and for him to do some shit like that really pissed me off. So I'm mm -hmm. glad he lost. But, um, <laughs> sorry, Bill, I, I just, I can't stand it. Um, like, the animal unleashed. <laughs> yeah, Bill, I, I cannot stand fence grabbing, dude. Um, and I've done this in training myself, but it was, in, in it was like, it, sometimes it's instinctual, Bill. You know, yeah. you, you see something that's, you feel yourself going down and your first instinct is to keep yourself from going down. Sure. But I am not someone who's spent a lot of time dedicating their life and their days to, to this sport. So, you know, I do it to, to, you know, try and get in shape and stuff. But um, yeah, dude, when you're in there, you know, you're a professional at this, you know, you're not allowed to grab the fence. So I, I think I love it. I love that they took the point away. Um, I, I think they should have taken the point away to John Dodson as well uh, when that happened. So good, Bill. I like that. Um, and Bill, um, actually, now you mention it, credit to all the refs on this card because there was a lot. We talk about, you know, when the referees mess up, mm -hmm. but I think we got to praise them when they do a good job. I think a lot of the refs, and even in the main card, the fights that I did watch, I think a lot of the refs did a really good job last night. A lot of them were warning the fighters to not have their fingers open when they were um, when they were reaching out. Uh, to keep their fists closed and stuff. They were very vocal about it. So I think the refs across this car did a really good job. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, I don't think, I, I can't recall anything on this card where I was thinking that any of them had done a, a bad job. So yeah, um, <clears throat> you know, we always got to give them credit whenever we can because we do take every opportunity to criticize them and they do have a difficult job being in the heat of the moment in there and, and trying to stay out of harm's way. Uh, that's all I got for fight night 145 from Prague. Unless there's anything else you wanted to touch on Jeff. Uh, we yeah. Can uh, I just want to add one thing. Sorry to cut you off Bill, mm -hmm. but um, the opening fight for the main card was Magomed Ankaliv. I'm mm -hmm. probably saying that wrong versus Klitson, a brew. And dude, I just want to give a shout out to a brew's toughness, man. In the first round, his nose got broken. So he's fighting three rounds, not being able to breathe in through his nose. Mm -hmm. And um, Magomed Ankaliev looked really, really dangerous in there, man. A really tough guy. So credit to Abru. I thought he was going to get finished a few times because Ankaliev was he was torturing him for three rounds. Um, so a big credit to both of these guys. Um, Abru is one tough dude, man. Um, 
I, I, I can't imagine being not only being in there, but being in there, not being able to breathe properly. You know, your nose is is almost touching your other ear. Yeah, it's just so credit to both of these guys. Yeah, Agaleev gave him the Andre Arlovsky makeover. Yeah, uh, his nose is really smashed. I'm glad you uh, brought this one up. I I wanted to talk about the whole main card and. Um, I actually just couldn't remember if that one was on the prelims or not, but yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that one. So, uh, with that, uh, nose smashing, we'll move on, uh, from UFC fight night, 145. If you miss this card, um, it, you know, there's definitely some fights worth checking out. So, uh, go back and, uh, if you have the ESPN plus app, um, you can go in there and watch it, or you can, I'm sure find it, uh, somewhere on the internet. Uh, I'm not too savvy on on those things uh, when it when it's too far removed from the event, but you know, definitely good fights, definitely um, unexpected gems in there, uh, and, and a lot more from this card than than I anticipated personally. All right, I want to move on to next week UFC 235, uh, but before that, I just want to give a quick shout out to um, some of my teammates who fought last night, and uh, I was able to go out to the show in Tampa. It was world class. Fighters League, um, World Class Fight League. Uh, and this was a uh, local show in Tampa, Florida. We had uh, four fighters in the Gracie Tampa slash Gracie Clearwater network who were fighting for titles. And uh, they went two for two. Uh, and they all they all looked good. You know, even even the two L's we took last night, um, you know, the guys looked very good. They were, they were very close fights. I think they were both split decisions. Um, and Mr. Ben Zapata, uh, world champion, Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, uh, coming away with a Von Flu choke in the main event for the 155-pound WCFL title. So uh, he was looking like a monster in there. So uh, shout-out to the Gracie Tampa, Gracie Clearwater uh, Network uh, representing the team well last night. It was a good time. Uh, I think I was, I was sending you some pictures from the show last night, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, Bill. Um, and, you know, one of my things is I, I've been meaning to go to more local MMA shows. But, Bill, I'm glad that, that you're able to to go and, and enjoy them. And, dude, shout-outs to your team, dude. I've been uh, – I was lucky to be able to train the last time I went to visit you guys. And the gym is awesome. Um, and, you know, you got some really, really good coaches out there. So I, I learned a lot. I was only there for a couple of hours. But a lot of the, the talking points that um, – especially coach Jeff Bailey uh, said, I actually still use a lot of those, um, you know, a lot of his positioning and where to place certain things. I use those and mm -hmm. not, you know, people don't really know how to respond to that. So you got some good coaches out there, Bill shout outs to the boys out there in Gracie Clearwater and great Gracie Tampa. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of them are listening. So uh, I'm sure I'm going to, you know, hear about that shout out along with the the usual ball breaking i take uh from each week's episode <laughs> yeah shout out to to powerful coach bailey who was uh rocking the corners last night um yeah he's got a lot of great gems of wisdom uh, for sure uh and those are always appreciated um so yeah team looks good last night um you know two titles out of two uh, out of four um could have been worse could have been better. Could have been worse. Um, <laughs> uh, in any case, uh, let's look forward to uh, one of the biggest cards of the year. 
uh, just so completely stacked. Uh, I don't even know where to start. I guess we'll start at the top. UFC 235 from the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada, headlined by John Bones Jones defending his light heavyweight championship against Anthony Smith, uh, who has just been on a legend killers tour uh, and has looked indestructible since moving up to 205 pounds. But, man, not a lot of people giving him a chance in this one. Uh, I think... I think, you know, he's got to put John Jones away. I think in order for Anthony Smith to win this fight, he's got to put John Jones out cold, uh, which nobody has been able to do. Nobody's really been able to come close. Uh, it would definitely be one of the biggest upsets of all time if Anthony Smith is able to get this done. And uh, John Jones just not showing a lot of vulnerability to what Anthony Smith brings to the table. However, Anthony Smith is one of the few people who has believed that Anthony Smith is going to win a couple of fights that he wasn't supposed to win. Uh, this guy is so experienced. I think he's got over 40 fights and he has a tremendous belief in himself and, and that could be a very powerful thing. And that's what makes this fight intriguing. The closer we get to it, the more intrigued I am by it personally. Give me your thoughts on this main event, Jeff. Bill, I'm in the same boat, man. I'm so excited, not just for this fight, but this entire card, man. But uh, focusing on just Anthony Smith, he in his last three fights, he beat Volkan Ozdemir, uh, Mauricio Shogun Hua, and Rashad Evans. I'll be honest with you, Bill. I didn't think he was going to win any of those fights. Um... You know, I just I didn't know a lot about him, but he went in there and had no respect for any of those guys. Wasn't afraid. And Bill, if he's gonna beat John Jones, he needs to have that same mentality. He can't mm -hmm. be surprised by him. He can't be in awe of John Jones. He can't stand there on ceremony. He has to go in there and take the fight to Jones. Just get in his face, dude. Um as for John Jones, he's got a lot of ways to win this one, man. He can knock people out. He can finish people with submissions. Um, the way he mixes up his striking and his grappling is just – there's nobody in the light heavyweight division who can do it like him. Um, and, you know, it, it just goes to show when you look at Daniel Cormier and, I, and you know, I feel like those two names, Jones and DC, are going to be synonymous for a really long time. Um, DC is a champion of a former light heavyweight champion and a heavyweight champion. Um, so for Jones to have beaten him not once but twice, Bill, is, well, essentially twice, is just <coughs> Jones is, as much as I don't like him as a person, he's mm -hmm. one of the best fighters in the world. But Anthony Smith can't wrap his head around that. He's just got to go in there and just take the fight to Jones from the first bell, man. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think he's got to get in his face. He's got to pressure him. Um, he's got to avoid any type of clinch mm. or or body locking with John Jones because with that Greco-Roman uh, background, if John Jones gets a hold of your upper body, uh, you could be going for a ride. And Anthony Smith has shown uh, susceptibility to submissions. Um, he's been submitted four times in his career. And John Jones is a vicious submission artist uh not the most technical 
I believe he's a purple belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, uh, but don't let that fool you. He has submitted black belts. He has put black belts unconscious inside the cage. He has had his arm broken by a black belt and continued to fight. Um, I don't think Anthony Smith is going to want any part of the grappling here. So he's going to have to find a way to get inside the length of John Jones without getting inside the clinch of John Jones. And I think there's a very slim margin in there uh, where he has the perfect opportunity uh, to win this fight. So if he's able to get inside the distance and stay away from the grappling distance and land strikes in there and work the body of Jones and touch his chin and put him out cold, like he definitely has the power to do. Uh, those are going to be the keys to victory for Anthony Smith. Uh, John Jones, uh, you know, to put it in its simplest terms, has a lot more ways to win this fight. Um, but that's what makes this intriguing. You know, if Anthony Smith is able to get into that territory uh, where he does stand a chance, um, you know, we could see a big mix up in this division, which it could definitely use. Um, <clears throat> the co-main event is a welterweight championship fight between the champ Tyron Woodley and Kamaru Usman. Um, these are two guys who have fairly similar styles. Uh, they both have knockout power. Um, they are both very strong wrestlers uh, who can choose where the fight takes place. Um, you know, this is basically, you know, a, a, a mirror image type fight. You know, Usman, I think, has idolized Woodley for a lot of his career and and emulated him and modeled a lot of what he does after Tyron Woodley. And, you know, if you're looking at this objectively, Woodley does everything that Usman does just a little bit better. Um, I think he's got more knockout power. He's a more credentialed wrestler. Um, and he's able to mix things up a, a little bit better. He's got more of a submission game. Uh, than Usman does, uh, having gotten his black belt from Dean Thomas uh, after submitting Darren Till in his last fight. Um, but Usman is a guy that a lot of people in this division have avoided for a long time. You know, on the down low, people have been offered fights with Usman and turned them down, um, and, and for good reason. The, the guy definitely is a nightmare in there. He will not stop. Uh, you have to stop him. There is no chance that he gets tired in there. I think e even for 25 minutes, um, he will be relentless. And Tyron Woodley is going to have to put him out cold in order to get him to stop the onslaught of attacks here. Um, give me your thoughts on this co-main event, Joe. Yeah, but I don't think you're wrong about the way in which Woodley has to win. I think Kamaru Usman, when it comes to cardio, I think that's where Usman's advantage lies. As for Tyron Woodley's advantage, I think it's everywhere else. Mm -hmm. I think that he's a better, he has more power. I feel like he's a bit of a cleaner striker than Usman. And I think he's a better grappler. The difference <laughs> is where Woodley controls you, Usman just keeps driving at you and he keeps getting up and coming at you. And I think that's where he, that's where Usman can win if it can win if he can grind out a decision. But I also think Tyron Woodley could knock him out or tap him in the first two rounds. So mm -hmm. this is a really exciting matchup, dude. And I like how you said it. I think I agree with you. I think Woodley is uh, the same pedigree, the same breed as Usman. I think he just does everything a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Um, and we've seen Tyron Woodley 
win uh, defend his belt in a couple of those ways. He, um, he beat Robbie Lawler by knocking him out. He was able to tap um, Darren Till, and he was able to grind out a couple of decisions against um, what's his name, Demian Maya and uh, Wonder Boy Thompson. Mm-hmm. So you know, I think Woodley's ad- adept. I think that his experience is definitely gonna um, be able to help him out, and. I, I don't like to make – well, actually, I do like to make predictions. Um, so I, I'm going to say – I don't know about Jones and Smith, but I think I think Woodley's got this one against Usman, Bill. Yeah, I think a lot of people forget, too, just how dangerous Woodley is because of those couple of fights with Maya and Wonderboy where there were specific areas that he wanted to avoid. He didn't want to go to the ground with Maya, and he didn't want to engage standing up with wonder boy so he did what he had to do to win those fights um you know people forget that this is a guy who blasted robbie lawler in the first round to to win the title uh you know one of the most fierce strikers in the history of striking uh who is also on this card against ben Askren, making his ufc debut probably uh, one of the worst fights for Ben Askren to make his debut for a lot of reasons. Robbie Lawler has spectacular takedown defense. He's a very accomplished wrestler in his own right. Uh, he's a grizzled veteran. Uh, he has crazy knockout power. If he touches Ben Askren's chin, uh, Ben Askren will have a zero erased from his record. He's currently 18-0. and 0. Uh, Criticized a lot outside the UFC uh, by hardcore fans uh a lot um you and i have been buying for ben Askren to get into the ufc for a long time jeff now he's here the other reason this is a bad matchup for him is ben Askren is one of the most notorious shit talkers in the history of shit talking um (laughs) he's just he's just good at it he gets under people's skin he's annoying he knows he's annoying and he likes being annoying um so he works even harder at it uh, you're not going to annoy Robbie Lawler. You're not going to get him to engage in any shit talk. Um, ben Askren spent more time talking shit to Kamaru Usman uh, at the last press conference than he did even acknowledging the fact that he was fighting Robbie Lawler. Um, so in any case, uh, this will be a very interesting fight. You know, Will Ben Askren be able to get Lawler to the ground and hold him there, or will Lawler be able to land a big shot on Ben Askren? Um is basically what this fight comes down to, Jeff. Give me your thoughts. Yeah, dude, I'm really excited for this one. I think I'm excited more for this one than any of the the two previous fights that we mentioned. Well, I'm excited for all of them, but I think I don't I don't know what it is, man. Uh, I think, like you said, Ben Askren's putting a lot on the line here. He's been talking himself up, talking down his opponents, and you know it could blow up in his face if Robbie Lawler. excuse me, lands a really good shot on his chin. And Bill, it's interesting because um, they both use wrestling in different ways. Ben Askren uses wrestling to wear you down and, you know, try and, and hold you down and tire you out so much to the point where your striking basically becomes um, useless because you're so tired. Robbie Lawler uses his wrestling to keep the fight standing and be able to try and knock you out. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how these two styles match up with each other. I think stylistically, this is a really fun matchup for Ben Askren in his um, UFC debut. But from a marketing standpoint, um, 
Ben Askren could be shooting himself in the foot here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I, I think it says a lot about Ben Askren too, because you know, he's got to know that this is one of the tougher matchups and he's willing to get in there with anybody and always has been. Uh, always wanted to challenge himself against the best in the world, uh, which is why he almost retired uh, because he felt like he did everything there was to do outside of the UFC. Uh, he had a falling out with Bellator, uh, so he couldn't go back there and couldn't get in the UFC, so he was just going to hang it up uh, just because there were no challenges out there. But we know he's willing to fight anyone, anywhere, anytime. Jeff, I'm going <clears> to <throat> – there's so much going on in this card. I'm going to just give a quick rundown, and then you tell me – you know, one or two fights that stick out the most to you, uh, if you can, uh, because this card is just so stacked. So going down the line, we got Tisha Torres against Wiley Zhang, and uh, that's going to be an awesome uh, strawweight matchup. Then we got Cody Garbrandt uh, finally getting back in there against Pedro Munoz. That should be a slugfest for sure. Jeremy Stevens against the guy that nobody wants to fight, Zabit Magomed Sharipov, and Jeremy Stevens known to play spoilers for these uh, young, dangerous prospects. Um, Misha Serkinov taking a short notice replacement uh, contender in Johnny Walker, who just fought, it seems like, yesterday. So Johnny Walker getting back in there, definitely going to be his biggest test. Um, you know, Misha Serkinov, a lot of experience. Uh, you know, he's got less fights than Johnny Walker, but he's got more fights in the UFC uh, and against... Uh, bigger competition. Uh, Mickey Gall and Diego Sanchez. This is just going to be a wild fight. Anytime Diego Sanchez gets in there, you never know what you're going to get. He's also one known to play spoiler to young up and coming prospects. Um, <clears throat> and then jump around. I'll give you one more, Jeff. Frankie Sions against Marlon Chito Vera. Um, so we got a lot of good bantamweight action going on in this card, just straight up and down. I want to watch this entire thing, but what's jumping off the page to you, Jeff? Yeah, dude, the entire card looks phenomenal, but the fight that jumps out to me the most is Jeremy Stevens versus a beat Magomed Shapirov. I think that could really shake up this featherweight division, which we've mm -hmm. talked about before is a little clunky at the top. We don't really know what's going on, but, um, Dude, Zabit Magomed Shapirov has been tearing through everybody that's been put in his way. And Jeremy Stevens is no joke, man. Do not let his lo his loss to Jose Aldo fool you. Jeremy Stevens is a very, very dangerous fighter, um, especially if he can hit uh, Zabit clean on the chin. So I think that's the one that stands out to me the most, Bill. That is an excellent pick. And with that, we'll leave it there. Like you said, Things are murky with the 145-pound division, especially since the champ Max Holloway is moving up for an interim title fight with Dustin Poirier. Um, that, that really throws a, a wrench in the works here, a wrench in the gears. Um, but unfortunately, I'm, I've run out of time for this week's episode, so we're going to have to cover that one next week. Uh, it's going to be a fun episode as we break down UFC 235 and talk about you know, everything going on in the news that we didn't have a chance to get to this week. If you want to get a hold of Jeff, you can do so on Twitter at animal underscore Wilson. You guys know how to get a hold of me. It's at MMA on the rocks, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, send me an email, MMA on the rocks, gmail.com. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we got a roll. Let us know what you're thinking and drinking out there on social media. And until next time, cheers, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>